Remain standing. Take your Bibles, if you would, right near the end of the Bible, 3 John. Just one chapter, uh, the book of 3 John. Last book is Revelation, before that is Jude, and right before that is 3 John. And I'd like us to uh, begin by reading uh, together verse 1 and verse 3. Now, we're not skipping verse 2 because we don't like it. <laughs> I preached on it last time. But Third uh, John, verse number 1, and then verse number 3. We can read that together, reading that out loud, then we'll have a word of prayer. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, verse 3, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Let's pray. Father, again, we're so thankful for each one that's here. We're honored that there are visitors this morning, Lord. I pray you'd bless them in a special way. And Lord, as we continue to preach our way through this book of 3 John, help us open our eyes and our hearts to what it is that John wrote so many years ago. And Lord, may this be a practical help in our own lives. Now, Father, as we always pray, Maybe there's one that's listening to my voice this morning that has never trusted Christ as their Savior. And Lord, the Christian life begins with salvation. If they have not yet been saved, Lord, that's a decision they ought to make today. But Lord, for so many that are saved, there's much to learn from what we're looking at this morning. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you know that, again, we just started on this little epistle of 3 John, Pastor, what do we know so far? Well, we know it was the Apostle John that wrote it. We know that he wrote it late in his life. John is probably 70 or 80 years of age at this time. Also, John is in some kind of a traveling ministry. It seems, as we've looked at first and second and now third John, that John is traveling, it seems, from church to church. He is uh, meeting Christians and meeting them again, and, and uh, he's writing some of these things back to some people that he met in those churches. So there are familiar things with 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, but there's also some differences. 2nd John was written to an unnamed lady in a church. We're not given her name. We're not given the city that it was in. While 3 John was written to a named man, look there in 3 John verse number 1, it says the elder, that's John who's writing, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. So while 2 John was written to a woman that we're not told who she was, this 3 John was written to a man named Gaius, no doubt in another church. There's another difference between 2 John and 3 John. 2 John was a warning about encouraging those that are teaching false doctrine. What happened when John wrote 2 John, he wrote to that woman, she was very hospitable. In fact, she would open her door to anybody and everybody. And John learned that she was actually opening her door to those that were teaching false doctrine. And John warned her, don't do that. In fact, back up there, if you would, to Second John, he said, not only don't invite those kind of people into your home, but don't bid them Godspeed. Look there in Second John, verse 10. It says, uh, and he's writing this to this unnamed Christian woman, if there come any unto you 
and bring not this doctrine. Preacher, what was the doctrine? The doctrine that Jesus is the Son of God. If there's someone, lady, who knocks on your door and is teaching another doctrine other than Jesus is Christ, he said there in verse number 10, he said, receive him not into your house. Don't be kind. Don't be hospitable. In fact, the end of verse 10, neither bid him Godspeed. He said, because uh, you, you say, well, listen, I hope you have a good... No, we don't hope that people that deny that Jesus is the Christ, we don't hope they have a good day. We don't pray that God will bless that ministry. And when we were preaching through Second John, I know that uh, the, the tendency is... <gasps> Aren't we supposed to be kind to everybody? Well, you're not to be kind to those that are teaching a doctrine contrary to the Word of God. That was the theme of 2 John. Don't be gracious and kind and encouraging to those that are teaching false doctrine. That's 2 John. But you know, 3 John is almost the reverse side of that. He said, on the other hand, you should be kind. You should be graceful for those that are teaching the right doctrine. So he talks about what we're not to do, those that teach false doctrine. Third John, what we are to do that teach uh, right doctrine. There are really two sides of that hospitality coin. And you know, as we look at both of these, it'll help us to keep in check the right direction uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago, last week, of course, was our anniversary. But look there in 3 John, verse number 2. I took the whole message a couple weeks ago on verse 2, beloved. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. And we learn from that 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 is one of the favorite texts of those that believe the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says that if you're a Christian living for God, love the Lord, that God will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And uh, you, if you just simply name something you want God to give you, claim it from God, and uh, they'll say there's no reason to be poor, there's no reason to be sick. That is the prosperity gospel. And there are many who have bought into that teaching. They love 3 John verse 2. Look at verse 2 again. 3 John verse 2, John says to this man, Gaius, beloved I, wish, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Folks, we don't believe that name it and claim it. That's a false teaching that's being circulated. I gave a number of names. I said Oral Roberts taught that, Benny Hinn teaches that, Catherine Coleman taught that, Kenneth Copeland taught that, Kenneth Hagen, Rodney Howard Brown. Listen to Kenneth Copeland. This is what he says about that verse 2. He said, you must realize that it is God's will for you to prosper. This is available to you, and frankly, it would be stupid of you not to partake of it. That's Kenneth Copeland. Do you know Joel Osteen? And we're probably more familiar in our day with that man. Pastors down there in Houston, Texas. This is what he said about 3 John verse 2. It's God's will for you to live in prosperity instead of poverty. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself. 
Now, it's a strange thing that Paul, when he died, had very little to his name. So what Joel Osteen is preaching is contrary to the life of Paul. What Joel Osteen and Kenneth Hagin are saying was contrary to the life of Jesus Christ himself. So we looked at that whole prosperity gospel, and coupled with that is most of those that preach it believe in faith healers. Now, hold on. We believe in faith healing. We believe that God can heal people. Certainly we do. We pray that God will. But for someone to stand up and claim that they have the gift of healing, and that's what they teach, and they also teach something else called seed faith. How many of you ever heard of that term before, seed faith? What they'll say is, if you really want to get all that you claim, then what you need to do is give a little bit of money away, and that's kind of planting a seed. Strangely, they all want you to give your money to their ministry. It's always a strange thing that they do that. Many years ago, I had a a missionary that was through here, and, and uh, he told me, he said, I don't believe in tithing. And I said, okay. He was a missionary going to Africa. And he said, I don't think it's necessary to tithe to your local church. I said, okay. So I said, so you wouldn't mind if your people tithe to our church? Well, no, that's not what he wanted at all. It's a funny thing what tags on to doctrines that aren't Bible doctrines. I'm saying we looked at the prosperity gospel the last time. Pastor, what are we looking at today? Well, today we're looking at Third uh, John and an unusual word that John used about this man Gaius. Look there in verse 1. The elder, that's John himself, John the Apostle, unto the well-beloved Gaius. Watch you think about that word, well-beloved. If you know your Bible, you know that the word beloved is a common Bible term. In fact, we see that word beloved, look there in verse 2. Beloved, look a little bit further in verse 5, beloved. Uh, that word beloved we find in verse number 11, beloved. Uh, the word beloved is a common Bible term. In fact, that word beloved shows up 113 times in our Bible. 63 of those times are in the New Testament, 50 are in the Old Testament. To be beloved is to be loved. It is an endearing term, and the one book where that word beloved shows up is actually the Song of Solomon, and I think it's some 30 times where it's found in Song of Solomon. Having said that, that beloved is an endearing term for someone that you love. That's not the word that John used of Gaius in verse 1. Look there again in verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. Although the word beloved shows up 113 times in the Bible, do you know that well-beloved only shows up six times? If beloved means loved, you'd have to agree that well-beloved means loved even more, uh, greater loved. You know, as much as beloved shows up 113 times, the well, a word well-beloved shows up only six times. Three of those times in the Old Testament, all three are speaking of God's Son, Jesus Christ. 
we understand why he would be well-beloved. In the New Testament, that term well-beloved is shown three times. It's spoken once in Mark chapter 12. God says about his son, this is my well-beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased. Paul used that term well-beloved of one of the people that he led to the Lord early in his ministry. John uses this term well-beloved once about this man Gaius. Why? What is it that Gaius did that made him well-beloved to the Apostle John? Because whatever he did, it would only make sense if we want to be well-beloved that we'd want to do those same things. If you're taking notes, and many of our folks do, my title this morning is, Why Was Gaius So Well-Beloved? Why was Gaius so well-beloved? Look there again in verse 2. Third John, verse number 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. We saw this a couple weeks ago. That verse number 2 is talking about three different areas of a person's life. Do you know the first area of your life is your wealth? It's the things that you have to your name. It might be your money. It might be your house or houses. It might be the vehicles that you own. It might be the furniture you have. It might be the investments that you have. The first word that describes the first area of your life is wealth. In fact, look at verse 2 again. It's the first area that John referred to. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. That word prosper is talking about wealth. So one description of your life is your wealth. I imagine that some here have wealth. You say, well, that wouldn't be me. Well, that's because some people don't have wealth. So wealth is one area of your life. Do you know that a second area of your life is your health? So whether you are in good health or whether you are in poor health, whether you are sickly or whether you're in top shape, whether you are athletic or whether you are a couch potato, I'm saying the first area of your life is described by your wealth. Second area of your life is described by your health. Uh, look again at verse number two. John, in fact, used that word. Verse two, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper, that's your wealth, and be in health, that's your uh, physical well-being. But look at the third part, even as thy soul prospereth. That's your spiritual well-being. And so every one of us could be described according to our wealth and according to our health and according to our spiritual well-being. That's why he talked about your soul prospering. Do you know those are three very different areas of your life? You could be very wealthy but have poor health and not even be saved. You could. Uh, you could be very healthy and not have a nickel to your name and spiritually have no walk with God. Or you could spiritually be doing very well but have no wealth and have poor health. 
Do you know, John tells us what Gaius had. Look again at verse 2. John said about this man Gaius, verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. So if John is wishing that he would prosper, the suggestion is he isn't yet. He's not wealthy. Keep reading. That thou mayest prosper and be in health. If somebody is wishing that you would be in health, the suggestion is you aren't. So he's not rich. He's not all that healthy. But you know what he does have going for him? Again, the end of verse number 3, even as thy soul prospereth. He said, Gaius, he said, uh, I know you don't have a lot. I know you don't have a lot of things. Your bank account's not bulging at the seams. I know that your health really isn't top shape. But he said, you know, spiritually, you're doing great. Your soul is prospering. And he said, Gaius, do you know that's why in my books you're well-beloved? Because you have put the priority in your life upon that which is most important in your life. You're taking notes. Again, we're looking at this question, why was Gaius so well-beloved? The very first reason Gaius was well-beloved is he focused on spiritually doing well. Do you know when John observed that Gaius, who happened to have poor health, who likewise was poor in the wealth department, but he saw Gaius decided that he was going to put the emphasis of his life on his spiritual well-being, he decided that he wanted to spiritually grow and spiritually flourish, and Gaius wasn't going to, uh, in his pursuit of the other two, he wasn't in his pursuit of wealth and in his pursuit of health going to sacrifice his spiritual well-being. John said, Gaius, I like that. And I trust that as a Christian, listen folks, for some of us that don't have perfect health, there's very little we can do. Uh, you know my history. I've had a kidney transplant and all is working well. Why wouldn't I have three kidneys now? I remember years ago I went to the doctor and from the age of 16 I've been on blood pressure medicine and water pills and, and I'm not here to get your tears, but medicine is just a part of my life. I remember one time walking into the doctor, I think it was about 2021, and, and he said, how can I help you? I said, how about we just ditch all these pills? How about we do it? Other people want pills. I don't want pills. He chuckled. He said, maybe other people don't need them units. There are some people whose health is not a 100% top class. And there's very little that they can do to fix it. I think you'd agree with that. Do you know there are some people whose wealth is not the greatest? It could be because there was a downturn in their work. Could be because, uh, you know, what they inherited someone else's debt issue. It could be because of a bad investment. It could be because their job doesn't pay all that well. It could be because they've lost. I'm, I'm saying a lot of people can't change their health. And a lot of people can't change their wealth. But you know what every one of us can change? Our spiritual well-being. Nobody can prevent you from spiritually prospering.
That's all on you. And I'm saying to you that although Gaius may have suffered health-wise and although he may have suffered monetary-wise, he put the priority in his life. He focused on his spiritual well-doing. How many songs in our hymn book encourage that focus? I think we sang the song this morning, Earthly pleasures vainly call me. I would be like Jesus. How about take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. But his love abideth ever through eternal years the same. Here's one. Jesus, I my cross have taken. All to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken. Thou from hence my all shall be. We have him after him. I am resolved no longer to linger Charmed by the world's delights, things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. We have dozens of hymns in that hymn book that encourage us to do exactly what Gaius did, to put that spiritual prospering far ahead of having better wealth and better health. And I think that John, when he learned that that was Gaius's focus, he said, that's why you're well-beloved. i give you a second thing that we learn from our text here. Look there, if you would, in 3 John, verse number 3. 3 John, verse number 3. Not only he focused on spiritually doing well, but verse number 3, for I rejoice greatly, John speaking, when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Notice the first part. John said, I rejoice greatly. So there's something else that Gaius has in his favor. What is this something else? Verse 3, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in the... Stop right there. Folks, nobody can see the truth that's in you. Nobody knows what's in your heart. Nobody really knows what's in your mind. So that raises an interesting question. How could the brethren possibly tell John of the truth that was in Gaius? How's that possible? Look again, verse number three. He said, for I rejoice greatly. This is the second thing, a reason that you're well-beloved, Gaius. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Well, hold on a minute. How could anybody possibly know of the truth that was in somebody else? Could I suggest to you that the truth that's in somebody else, eventually you start talking about. Folks, uh, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, help me with the rest of it. The mouth speaketh. And so, I know, I know, I know, me included, any of us can put on a game and use the right language, the right talk, when you're around a certain group of people. I know that when you get around God's people in a church service just like this, I, I, I know that we're guarded with what we say. I know that we're careful with what we talk about. But you know, eventually, out there in an unguarded situation, you and I are all going to talk about what's really down in our heart. 
And I'm saying to you that when the brethren came to John and told John about the truth that was in Gaius, what they were talking about was what Gaius talked about, what his conversation was about, what his communication, what the, the, the subjects that Gaius would just give himself to and what, uh, what, what things Gaius just enjoyed to speak of. And so it was his talk. Uh, you know, people can't see your heart, but they have a pretty good read by what you're always talking about. Okay, so now follow this. The second reason that Gaius was so well-beloved is his talk, and his talk was constantly about what was true, what was God. Look at the rest of verse 3. Start again in the beginning of verse 3. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, and they testified what Gaius talked about, even as, so this is different then, thou walkest in the truth. Here's what he's saying. Gaius, I'm hearing from everybody what you talk about all the time. Everywhere you go, everywhere, everyone you're with, this is what you talk about. But Gaius, I'm also hearing that your walk matches your talk. Don't we all know people who have a good talk? But folks, their walk is so different than their talk. They talk about how much they love Jesus. But you couldn't tell it from their walk. They talk about how much they love the Word of God and how that Bible is just the foundation of their life. But they don't read it. They talk about how important it is to get with God's people. But it's not a very high priority in their life. They talk about realizing that lost sinners, if they aren't told the gospel, they won't go to heaven. But they themselves don't make an effort to take the gospel to lost. I'm saying to you how easy it is for us to talk. But if your walk doesn't match your talk, then your talk is really vain talk. Look what he says again in verse 3. It's the second reason why this Gaius was well-beloved. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. They, they, they told me of what you talk about every time you open your mouth. Even as, so it's the same as the walkest. In, he said, Gaius, your talk matches your walk. If you're taking notes first reason that Gaius was well-beloved was he focused on spiritually doing well. And the second was his walk matched his talk. I wonder, does our talk announce one thing and our walk announce something entirely different? If they're different, if they're two-tone life, you know, it makes people question what's really in us. And when these brethren heard Gaius speak, and then they watched Gaius' life. They say, they match. He talks about God and he lives about God. He talks about prayer and he lives prayer. He talks about the Bible and he reads the Bible. His talk matched his walk and he said, Gaius, you know what? Because your walk matches your talk, that's why you're well-beloved. Say, preacher, why do people have difficulty 
putting confidence in me. Anyone could ask this question, including me. Pastor, why, could, why do people have difficulty putting confidence in me? Maybe your talk and your walk just don't match. Isn't it, wasn't that the condemnation that Jesus had of the Pharisees? They say and do not. There was one time where Jesus said, you can follow what they say because what they say is right, but don't follow what they do because what they say isn't what they do. Pastor, why do you suppose that these brethren came and told John about Gaius? Why was that such a big deal? Could I suggest to you that it looks like John was the one that led Gaius to the Lord? It looks like Gaius was a convert of John. Pastor, where do you get that? Well, look at verse number 3, uh, 3 John verse 3. John says, For I, great, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified to the truth that is in thee, that's in Gaius, even as thou walkest in the truth. Verse 4. On the heels of that, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. In verse 3, he says, what a thrill it is to hear that you have a walk in the truth, Gaius. And in verse 4, on the heels of that, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I, I would suggest to you, there is a strong case that it was John who led Gaius the Lord. Now, you know what? It's a great blessing to be able to take the scriptures and introduce someone to Christ, show them from the word of God that they're a sinner who needs a savior and Jesus will save. That is a great blessing. But you know, once a person gets saved, the next prayer is, Lord, would you help them to continue on and grow in you? And, Lord, because I led them to the Lord, I have a vested interest in them going on. There's folks, some of you here, I've led to Christ. It's important to me that every Christian grows. But there is an extra importance with those that you have led to Christ. And that's what John is saying. John is saying, it's such a thrill to me, Gaius. You were someone I led to Christ, and your walk and your talk continue. Well, keep your hand in 3 John. Look there, if you would, in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I'm just trying to show you a couple of verses how, how it's such a blessing, someone that you've led to Christ, that they are continuing on for God. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Again, 1 Thessalonians 2. Look there in verse number 19. 1 Thessalonians 2. Now, Paul is writing these Thessalonian believers, and this is within one year of when he was in that town and started that church, led, no doubt led many of them to the Lord. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Do you know, Paul looked at many of these in the Thessalonian church, and Paul said, you are my crown one day when I stand before Jesus Christ. He said, you are my crown of rejoicing when we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. 
That's why Paul wrote two letters to these Thessalonians, just to help them to continue on for God. Uh, you can let go of Thessalonians. Look there in Philippians chapter number 2. 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Uh, again, Philippians chapter number 2. Look there, if you would, in verse number 14. Philippians chapter 2 and uh, verse 14. Paul is writing these Philippians. He, again, he had started a church in Philippi. And he had led many of them to Christ. And now Paul is writing back to those believers. Philippians 2.14, he instructs them, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye, as Philippian believers, may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now look closely at verse 16. To these Thessalonian believers, sorry, the Philippian believers, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. You know what he said to them? He said, you got to keep going on. He said, I had the privilege of leading you to Christ. One day when I stand before Jesus Christ, how you have continued in the faith will give me cause to rejoice. Say, preacher, why was this well, this man Gaius so well beloved? What is it? Well, we've already seen, first of all, that he focused on spiritually doing well. But the second reason, his walk matched his talk. Folks, sometimes we see other Christians. And sometimes we see them outside the church. Say, Pastor, that's that's a good Christian. In church and out of church. There's some whose walk doesn't match their talk. So, Pastor, he's so mild-mannered. Until downtown you saw him lose his cool and throw everything that he could reach. That's a walk that doesn't match a talk. Preacher, she's so honest. Is that just in church? Or is that seven days a week? Preacher, his words are so encouraging. Are they encouraging on Tuesday? Are they encouraging on Friday? You know, John said about Gaius, you know why you're so well-beloved? Your walk matches your talk. I say to you, John said, Gaius, your walk matches your talk. That's why you're well-beloved in my books. Your conduct, that's what you do, matches your creed. That's what you believe. That's why you're so well-beloved, uh, Gaius, because what you say matches what you show. It's why he was beloved. Uh, you probably heard this. Men would rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. In Gaius, they got both. I give you a third thing. Pastor, why is it that Gaius was so well-beloved? Look there in verse number 5. Uh, John says to him, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Isn't it so easy to be kind to those that are in our own family? Of course it is. I mean, they're family. 
We cut a lot of slack for family that often we won't cut for someone else. I'm saying it's so easy to be gracious and kind to those that are close to us or family. Uh, the next thing it's easy is to be gracious and kind to those that are friends. Someone may, they might not be part of your family, but if you're, they're your buddy or your pal, boy, it's easy to be kind to them. It, it's, it's easy to be kind to those in your own church, or it should be. It's easy, but you know, it's, it's hard to be gracious and kind and generous to complete strangers. That's right, I never even met that guy. Okay, but that doesn't call for being unkind. Notice again here in verse number five, the third thing that John says about Gaius. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. He said, Gaius, you're not only kind to those that are close to you, you're not only kind to those that are in your family, you're not only kind to those that are your close friends, you're not only kind to those that are in your same church, but he said there in verse number five, he said, you're even kind to strangers. I say, preacher, what's, what's he getting at? Well, if you remember from 2 John, John had wrote, written to that unnamed woman who was so hospitable to these that were going in a door-to-door ministry, but they were bringing a false doctrine, cults. We have them even in our day. JWs knock on doors. Mormons knock on doors. Granted, we knock on doors too, but there are people that knock on doors that are bringing a false doctrine. And John warned that woman in 2 John, you're not to be hospitable to those that bring the false doctrine. Now this is the flip side of that statement to Gaius. Gaius, when you have somebody that's bringing to you the true doctrine, you need to be kind. And whether it's them knocking at your door, or whether it's, it's somebody who's come through your church and visiting your church, Folks, we have some visitors this morning, and this isn't their regular church that they attend. That doesn't give us a license to be mean. That doesn't give us a license to be hateful and rude. And John said, Gaius, whether it's somebody that's part of your family or a close friend or somebody that's in your church or whether it's somebody that to you is a stranger, you have never met them before, and maybe you don't know everything about them. Look again at verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and the stranger. He was being kind to both of those groups of people. And he said, that's why you're well, beloved. I, I say third thing, he was welcoming both to friends and to strangers. Uh, John added mine, no doubt, those of God's people who lived in different parts of that country, even in that world, that were passing through Gaius' church. And I think that John particularly thought of traveling missionaries, evangelists, and whether they were coming through to preach or a missionary to present, or whether they were just coming through to sit in the church you know that this man Gaius had a reputation of going out of his way to find them, to introduce himself to them, to ask, listen, well, we're, we're, have you eaten today yet? Well, no, listen, then you're coming to my house to eat. Well, I don't know, I, I won't take no. 
That was Gaius. That was Gaius, whether it was somebody in the church that he knew. That was Gaius, whether it was a stranger that was passing through. John commended him for that kind of hospitality to whoever came through. We need to be like that. We're praying for visitors. We're praying for folks to be added to our church. When they come, we have to go out of our way to be kind, to be gracious. Now, not everybody in a church is like that. And not everybody in this church was like that. Look there in verse number nine. There was somebody else in the same church. It was exactly the opposite. He was unhospitable. Third John, verse nine, I wrote unto the church. That's the church where Gaius was a part of. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence among them, received us not somebody. When, when, when John must have come before to that church, boy, Gaius stepped up and said, who are you? <laughs> oh, I'm the elder John, the apostle John. Years ago, I had a hand in getting this church. Wow. Have you eaten today yet? Well, no. Not. Then you're coming for lunch. He said, well, that, no, I won't take You're coming for lunch. And he had it all planned out. But you know what? There was another man in that church, Diotrephes. He not only had no interest in encouraging John when John came through, he tried to prevent anybody else from being hospital. Pastor, where did he get that? Look at verse 10. Again, still about the Diotrephes. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doth, so he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. I'm saying this man was completely different than Gaius. And John said, Gaius, you know what? If someone's passing through, you are the first one to step up. You are the first one to help. You are the first one to encourage. You are the first one to extend the right hand of fellowship. I said, yes, that's why to me you are well-beloved. Now, I'm sure that Gaius was careful. I'm sure that Gaius practiced what that woman of 2 John didn't practice. She didn't first check out that visitor's doctrine before she was hospitable. If Gaius hadn't, John would have written the same thing to him. I think that he was careful. I think that he was cautious. But once that man Gaius found out, this is a good man, this man loves God, this man serves God, Gaius said, listen, you got a place to stay tonight? Folks, that's hospitality. That word hospitality, in that word is the word hospital. Do you know when you go to the hospital, you know what you expect? Kindness, help, whatever need is, they're going to go out of their way to help it. That's hospitality. And I'm saying the third reason that this man Gaius was so well-beloved is he was welcoming both to friends and to strangers. Gaius' reputation of kindness had spread far and wide. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? The people he was kind to told everybody else that they met. So where do you get that? Well, look at verse 6, 3 John, verse 6. Uh, back up to verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to brethren and to strangers, 
Verse number six, which have borne witness of thy charity. So after Gaius had been particularly charitable to those people, those people witnessed it. They, they told it. They, they shared it wherever they went. Not only did they share it in the church that Gaius was in, but they shared it in other churches. Look again in verse 6. Which have borne witness, they told it, of thy charity before the church. That's the church that they were in. Whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Yeah, I, I, I would suggest he not only told it to people in the that, what, a, what a blessing that man is in your, what a blessing that woman is in this church. But I think when John or these others went on to other churches, they said, you know, if you ever get a chance to go by that church, that is a hospitable church. And that man in that church is a hospitable believer. They told it everywhere they went. He was welcoming to friends and to strangers. We just celebrated our 33rd anniversary. And folks, in 33 years, we have almost had one missionary every month to this church. If it wasn't a missionary, it was an evangelist. If it wasn't a missionary or evangelist, it was a pastor or a retired pastor. How many visiting people have we had that are in some part of the ministry. Do you know, when anyone comes, we're to be kind. When anyone comes, we're to be hospitable. But folks, when somebody in the ministry passes through, that's our time to step up. <laughs> and I can't tell you, you say, preacher, we give some of these people a whopping love offering. I know. And don't ever feel bad about that. But I know that some of them, and, and in this last month, I, I had a preacher say this, I have never got a bigger love offering than I have at Golden Plains Baptist Church. What am I saying? That kind of testimony spreads. That's exactly what they said about Gaius. They not only said, Gaius, you are so welcoming. They told it to other people in that church, and they told it to other... I've had missionaries call and say, Brother Carlson, I have heard all about Golden Plains Baptist Church, that it's a very gracious church. Are you a gracious person, person in a gracious church? Pastor, you're just talking about money. No. We're talking about a smile. We're talking about a right hand of fellowship. We're talking about asking to sit beside somebody. You sit with anyone? Why don't you sit with me? Well, I prefer to sit in the back. Guess what? Then I'm going to sit in the back today. It, this is far more than just money. It, it, listen, every day I pray. I'd like to pray for What can I pray for you about? Well, I'm kind of a very private person. Okay, then I'll pray for your health. I'll pray that God bless you spiritually. Listen, folks, this is more than just money. This is not an intention to get into anyone's wallet. I'm saying that Gaius was welcoming to friends and strangers like, well, say, Pastor, this is going to cost me. Do you know if, if we already looked at that three areas, your wealth, your health, your spiritual well-being. If to you wealth is the most important part of your life, yes, it might. But if your spiritual well-being is most important, 
some of those things become secondary. And God will bless you for your welcoming friends and strangers. Hasn't God blessed this church in so many ways? I think one of them is because we're trying to be good to the servants of God. I think that maybe, anyone heard the name W.A. Criswell? Anyone recognize that name? Oh, just, just a couple. W.A. Criswell, I just found out this week his name is, his name was Wally, let me get his full name. His name is Wally Amos Criswell, and he cut, everybody called him W.A. Criswell. He was probably the best-known Southern Baptist preacher of the 20th century. Now, we're not Southern Baptists, we're Independent Baptists, but he almost lived 100 years. And likely 70 of those years, he was a very influential voice in Baptist churches, to believers all over the world. Do you know, somebody asked him who was his, one of his early influences in his life. And he said, you know, he said, my parents, when I was born into my home, were Christian people. They had trusted Christ. We had a Christian home, a Christian family. And he said, my mom, and he told the name of his mom, his mom was Anna Criswell. He said, my mom, every Sunday dinner, planned to have somebody over to the house to feed a meal. And he said, some of those years were not affluent years. Some of those years were difficult years. But he said, my mom made a meal, and she told my dad, we have enough food for guests. Who do you want for guests? <laughs> and lo and behold, uh, this W.A. Criswell said when he was just a young child, he said there was an evangelist that was passing through, and uh, Criswell's dad asked the preacher, where are you going to put that evangelist for the two weeks that he's here? And the pastor said, we haven't really figured that one out yet. And so Criswell's dad said, we'd like him to stay in our home. Why? Because we just want him to stay in our home. And so sure enough, this visiting evangelist that stayed for two weeks, his name was John Hicks. Uh, Hicks stayed in their home for two weeks, and, and uh, when Hicks went out for a walk, this little W.A. Criswell, just a boy, his name is Willie, uh, oh, sorry, Wally, Wally went for a walk with him. And this man took an interest in this little boy. And when this Hicks would sit down in the living room and talk and this uh, little boy would sit there. Do you know, that two weeks, that little boy just endeared himself to Hicks. And Hicks endeared himself to W.A. Criswell. Criswell says, at the end of those two weeks when he left, I had gotten born again because of the influence of that Christian in my home. But he said, we never would have had that if my parents had not opened their doors and made a extra food and invited somebody. John said, Gaius, boy, you are welcoming. You are welcoming to people that you know well you're welcoming to people that are passing through the church that you've met before. 
You're welcoming even to strangers that come through. That's why you're well beloved. I give you the last thing. I'm done with this. Look there in verse number 8. Again, we've seen why is it that, uh, uh, why is it that uh, Gaius was so well beloved. First, he focused on spiritually doing well. Secondly, he, his walk matched his talk. Third, he was welcoming both to friends and strangers. You say, Pastor, I, I, I don't find it easy to be hospitable. <laughs> be hospitable anyway. I, I, I read this. This is not how to be hospitable. Uh, someone said, hospitality is the art of making people feel at home, even if you wish they were back at their home. You say, well, that's terrible. I, I, I read this. I read about a man who took his dog to the vet and asked the vet to cut the dog's tail off completely. And the vet said, well, I'm not sure I could do that. Why on earth would you ever want to do that to your dog? And he said, well, you don't understand, Doc, but he said, my mother-in-law is coming to visit. And I don't want anything in the house to suggest that she's welcome. That's the way some people are. They, they, that's not very hospitable. If you're a mother-in-law, I'm sorry. I just repeated a story. Why was Gaius so well-beloved? He was welcoming. And if you are like that, that's why you're well-beloved. I give you the last thing. Look there at 3 John verse 8. We therefore ought to receive such. He's talking about these that travel through. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. You know, there is a word used twice in verse 8 that hasn't been used in the first seven verses. The preacher, what's the word? It's a little two-letter word. It's we. You know, in verse 1, we read I, one of these personal pronouns. Verse 2, I, and thou, and thy. Verse 3, I, and uh, thee, and thou. Verse 4, I, and my. Verse number 5, thou. A little later in verse 5, thou. Verse number 6, if you look in verse 6, thou. And later in verse 6, thou. Verse number 7, uh, they. Do you know, up to verse 7, he's always talking about what you do and what I do. What you do and what I do. What you do and what he does. Now in verse 8, for the very first time, we find another W word. And it's we. Do you know a fourth reason that Gaius was so well-beloved is because Gaius was we-minded and not just me-minded. John said Gaius, and I've used this term, Gaius was a team player. Gaius recognized that the church didn't revolve around him that he was just part of a team of people that as they worked together, God was able to do some great things in that church. Now, John wasn't expecting Gaius to do something that John wouldn't do himself. 
John wasn't saying, Gaius, you need to do this and this and this and this. And when you, John, no, no, no. John was committed to doing those things himself. Look again at verse 8. He says, we, Gaius, you and me, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I say Gaius was well-beloved because he was we-minded and not just me-minded. Say, Pastor, you sure what that's, that's what it's all about? Last part of verse 8. He said, we have to be fellow helpers. Do you know, folks, not everybody in this church has the same gifts. Not everybody in this church has the same abilities. Not everybody in this church has the same talents and the same strengths. But what God has gifted you with, if you can work as a team member with others in the church that God has gifted them with, that's a great church. That's a going church. That's why John said, Gaius, you're well-beloved in my books. Because you have that we spirit. I think about this. Do you know why Lucifer was kicked out of heaven? Because it all became about me. Do you know why Saul was rejected from being the king of Israel? Because it became all about me. Do you know why Absalom rose up in rebellion against David? He was not satisfied being second. He had to be first. Do you know what the prodigal son, his attitude was as he went to the far country? Me. I'm not getting what I deserve. His attitude sure changed when he came back. It was no longer about me. I think that many of you have heard of the name William Carey. William Carey is considered the father of modern missions. The end of the 1700s, beginning of the 1800s, William Carey was a Baptist missionary, went to India. He went there in 1793. He spent the rest of his life trying to reach those in India. He died in 1834. He had a lot of difficulties. There was times where everything that he owned was burned to the ground. But you know, as Carey considered the ministry that God allowed him to do, Carey was humble enough to recognize it wasn't just him. He recognized that there was a host of people back in the home country of England who were praying, who were supporting him, who were sending things to help him. And if it weren't for their sacrifices, he never could have accomplished what he did. Do you know what William Carey called those people? He called them by a term, rope holders. He said that they back home were holding the other end of the ministry rope. In fact, he told them that they were holding the rope. And as he ventured into the gold mine of India to win souls for Christ and to disciple that souls for Christ, he said, it's not just me, it's we. He said, I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without me. It's we. And you know, that's exactly what John said 
to guess. We. Could I ask you this morning, would you be considered a well-beloved saint? Would people say that about you? If they would, it's because you're focused on spiritually doing well. If they would, it's because your walk matches your talk. If they would, it's because you are welcoming both to friends and strangers. And if they would, it's because you're we-minded. Not just me-minded. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Gaius. Lord, we don't read of this man in any other passage. There's others in the Bible by that name. But because John wrote this, 90 A.D., it's, it's pretty likely it's not any of the other Gaiuses in Scripture. And Lord, as we have now preached three messages already from this little epistle, this is a great man in a local church. And I, I, I don't think he was a rich man. We, we know he wasn't. Uh, I, he might not even have had a position in his local church. But John said, you are well-beloved. And Lord, we've seen why. We've seen because he focused on the spiritual. That was the priority of his life. We've seen that uh, not only he focused on the spiritual, but his walk matched his talk. We've seen that he was welcoming to friends and strangers. And he was a we worker who could work with others for the glory of God. Lord, would you help us to be that? Would you help us to be just like that man Gaius? Would you help because of those choices that others could honestly say, now that man, that woman, boy, they in this church are well beloved.